Will you all please pray with me? Mighty God, we love you so much. We approach your throne this morning in humility. But Father, with confidence and submission to who we are in you and to the place you've given us in your kingdom. And so I just ask and pray now, Father, that you would use me. Use me as your mouthpiece. Use me, Lord Jesus, in any way that you see fit that would mature and encourage and bless this body. Lord, our desire is to be more like you. So help us today as we look at your word and as we submit ourselves to you. Lord Jesus, take off the things that don't look like you and continue, Lord Jesus, to grow and mature us so we faithfully walk out our life with you in this world in a great and an awesome way. In your name, amen. Uh, when I was in college, um, I had to not come home for some breaks every once in a while because of sports things I was playing, and so I didn't get the normal breaks. You had to stay in practice and play games, whatever that's about. So uh, I was over there for a break and had to stay, and I, this break was interesting because a couple of my roommates had to stay with me. And so basically the college campus, besides some of the athletes, were gone. And it's a small Christian college. And we were all there. And so one day, my buddy barges into our dorm room. Sunny day, beautiful day, so exciting. With an idea that we should all play sand volleyball. Pretty cool idea. I'm not very good at volleyball. And you'll soon see how this affected me. So he walks in the room. He goes, hey, guys, let's, let's do it. So we're, the way we were situated was we had our room basically overlooked the sand volleyball pit. It was really awesome. It was a cool thing. So we often would turn a big speaker, bump some great tunes, and then go play some beach volleyball. You know what I'm saying? It was something to, to think about. It was really great. So comes in the room. He goes, okay, there's, there's, I think, five of us in the room at the time. The guy walks in the room and says, hey, Shaw, one of the guys I live with, Paul, Jesse, Ryan, you guys want to go play some volleyball? And I'm sitting there on the couch, and he's looking around, looking around, he goes, oh, hey, Dave, you can come too if you want. Yeah, and so that moment of time, that is, is just frozen and solidified in my mind. And I hate them. No, I'm joking. It's a joke. We don't, we don't do that here. You didn't think I was going to say that, but I did, and it meant to be a joke. It was frozen in time because... All my roommates were coming. They were excited about doing something. They were ready to go, and they are going to play two-on-two, and I was the odd man out, and I felt left out and miserable. Anybody ever felt that way before? Yeah, that's a human feeling. I think a lot of people can say I've been there before. I've been there a lot, which is weird, but in this moment, I felt it in a pretty huge way. How would you like it if um, you're pouring your heart heart out before the Lord and you're really excited about something? And the Lord barges in the room, and he looks around and says, yes, yes, Tracy's here, and Dave Platt, and we've got Crisanti, and we've, oh, Dave, you're there too. I heard your prayer once, right? And we get a picture of how the Lord operates based upon the experiences we've had in life, rather than the fundamental truth that we receive from God's word. I want to remind you this morning as we speak, the, the experience that I've had and the experiences we've had oftentimes relationally, are not the way God operates with us as his people. He is foundationally covenantal. And so we often take our mindset and we place it on the Lord like this is how he thinks too. This is how he operates. And it's in this humanistic way of right and wrong and good and bad and do's and don'ts and all this kind of stuff. And that's, he is above those things. And so we're on a series called Calling on God. And if there's ever been a moment in your life where you felt you've called on him, and he has never responded. 
I would like to try to adjust some of your paradigms and your thinkings now to say, is it that he's not responded? Or is it that we need to sharpen ourselves to the things that he's doing? We need to open our minds and our ears and our eyes and our hearts to be receptive to the way he leads us. And even when we think it's something that may not be the right way, it is actually him answering that request. Or it's in due time, my friends. Can we be patient to know that he knows what he's doing and is in control, although we may not have all the answers? Can you trust God without having all the answers? So I'm going to continue our, our talk today about calling on God, the Call on God series, um, talking about habits of grace. <clears throat> and it's going to be a, a good way to do it. But the big thing that I really want to hit on today is shifting our dependence, shifting our dependence off of ourselves and onto the Lord. And so what I have found in my life is that I often will get up here and start talking a lot and then miss an opportunity to be able to stand with you as the congregation. I'm going to flip this whole thing over today, if that's okay with you. I'm going to read some scripture for us. I'm going to invite Steve and the team to come back up. We're going to sing a song, and I'm actually going to spend a little time in ministry. If you have felt like your faith is weak, last week we talked about three things Roy, if you could hit, hit me up on that slide. Those three things we talked about last week were uh, foundational truths of scripture reading, prayer, and faith. We ended last week's discussion, or sermon, whatever you want to call it, with this idea of faith and it being active and something that, yes, is for salvation, but is also something that grows as you live it out. And out of the passage that I read about Jesus and the fig tree, he curses the fig tree, not because it was barren, but because it was false. There's an interesting distinction here because he's trying to show by picture as well, it's sandwiched between in the triumphal entry and him coming into town, it's sandwiched between him cleansing the temple. And so he's saying to the Jewish leaders, you can't come bear false things and, and expect people to grow and have life because you're not giving them any fruit. Equally, how we live. The, the text ends in this way, though. I'm going to read it for you really quick. It ends like this. Ooh. It says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes what, what he says, that will come to pass and it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. And I, and I really believe that genuine faith is actually first rooted in forgiveness and repentance before it's rooted in you believing and trusting in something. Out of your forgiveness, out of, out of your repentance and coming to the Lord in an, in an appropriate way, submission with confidence is how I kind of define faith. Knowing the good and right character of God and trusting in it no matter what that answer may be. Okay? So, but this is an interesting part in the book of Mark where Jesus is saying, your forgiveness or genuine faith is rooted in your ability to forgive as you've been forgiven. Forgiveness is founded in your ability to repent. And so, it's an interesting thing here. I would love to have a time of ministry for us just, just before we enter into the Word of God to pray specifically for you guys. If you're feeling dry, if you're feeling like you're calling on the Lord and you never hear an answer, you feel beat up and bruised, you feel restless, whatever it may be, this, above all seasons, is a wonderful season just to be refreshed in the presence of God. Because the beauty of the reality of the thing that we're entering into in this 
Advent is the anticipation of Christ's coming. You see, we live in a time that's really interesting between when Christ came, but the promise that he will come again. So our hearts are yearning for that completeness and the beauty of what that looks like. And so let's spend a moment of time in prayer. I would encourage you guys to all stand. If you don't need prayer or like to not receive prayer, um, that's totally great. Worship the Lord with true and honest worship before him now. But if there's anything in your life that I can pray for you for, as well as the elders and deacons, uh, please come up here. And let's just enjoy the Lord for a moment as we come, as we, before we come to the Lord's in, in a sermon. Is that okay with everybody? I think this is pretty awesome. Um, and I've come to the point in my life where if anyone's asking if they want to be prayed for, I'm, I just put my hand up right away because I was like, why not? I just, I, I need that. So specifically today, though, I feel like the Lord is reminding me, if there, if there is something that you've been battling, and I don't know what that means, a stronghold in your life, you feel like it's the same prayer to the Lord over and over and over again. Let's see a breakthrough in that today. Or maybe it's your faith. It just feels dry. feels like you've called on the Lord, but you don't know what it means to hear an answer. Let's ask the Lord to respond to us today. But I believe that if we're going to have a serious call, call on God, and we never call on Him, we are missing the point. So let's take some time to call on God, and then we'll talk about some habits of grace before we leave today. So Steve's going to lead us in a song. I'm up here. Just come on over to the side and let's, let's lay hands and pray. And this is straight out of the Bible. The Bible says, if there's anything going on, if you're sick, if there's need, let the elders lay their hands on you and pray for you. So this is no trick or incantation. The Holy Spirit's bigger. Let's worship the Lord and I'm here. Please come on up.
No. 
but the blood. Let's just take a moment and just call on God together. Let's just call on him for our congregation, for each other, for St. Louis. Let's call on him because yeah. he hears us. I'll start and then just let's pray. Let's seek him together. Lord, we thank you that you're here. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't leave us, God. Lord, you don't leave us in questions or wallowing. Lord, you are not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And so, Lord, we look to you. We look to you, God, for peace in our lives. We look to you, God, for peace for our brothers and sisters. We look to you, God, for peace for St. Louis. Lord, we thank you that you are not stopped. You are, your will cannot be changed. Lord, you are eternal. Everything you do comes to pass. Lord, you uphold all things by the word of your power. And if you've spoken it, it happens. And so we thank you that you've spoken a word, Lord, over your creation. That your king is coming again. Lord, thank you. There's nothing that can stand against you, Lord. And you said that we would be a part of that. And so, Lord, we ask you, help us to be faithful to all that you've called us to. Help us to be faithful in this city to what you are doing, God. Because you are the king of restoration and of life. And we look to you, Jesus. We have no hope but you. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else like to pray as we call on God? to realize our part in it and yeah. to make it happen. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, here we are. We're your children. We're your people. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, especially in this season. Remember that you are Emmanuel, God, with us. You've not left us. You've not forsaken us. Father, this morning as we look to your word, I ask and pray. In, in humility and in grace, Lord Jesus, open, open our eyes that we may be able to see. Open our deaf ears that we may be able to hear. Amen. Open our, sharpen our dull senses, Father, where we have not considered you or not really thought that you could do what we ask. Transform the way that we look to you, Jesus. Lord, we call on you because we know that you are good and you are faithful. And as we look to your character, we know that you answer and respond. So we submit to you, Lord Jesus, with an amazing confidence to say, we believe the things that we have prayed for have been heard. And we ask that you would be glorified in them and we would be more like you. We love you and we thank you, Lord. As we look to your word now, teach us in your name. Amen. Hey, thank you, everybody. That's always a good thing. So uh, we've been preaching and doing these things and then not having time to be able to pray. What's that about? Both are needed, right? Both are needed. Both are needed. So I'm going to go with what I have left, and then when, it's, when we're done, I'll just end it. That, that's all right. Because the Lord's going to use his word. His word speaks. I don't have to keep going. He's going to do what he wants to do. You know what I'm saying? All right. Uh, I had the opportunity when I was in college to live in, in Livingstone, Zambia, to work with Adam Kayeba and Guilford. These are some of the men that we have that are part of our, our larger Covenant Family Churches organization, which is wonderful. One of the things I was doing there, because I was a dual responsibility of being in college, a lot of you already know this, I was researching something for Living Hope International, which is an organization that we have that works with the vulnerable. That is actually now just a part of CLTI, but anyway... As I was going through these things and doing these things, this is the interesting thing I had. I was working with orphans every day, but I had to research and figure things out about them. Why are they on the street? What are better? What are methods and things we can do to help them? So every night I would go into the downtown area of Livingstone, Zambia, and I would sit with orphans. I would sit with street kids, and we'd sit on the side of the street and we would talk. I'd buy them dinner, and they would come, and I got to know them over the, all, the months I was there, and we would just have conversations. What's your life like? Why are you out here? Where are your parents? Where are your grandparents? Where do you actually live? What does life look like for you? And I learned a lot of things. It's pretty amazing. But you know one of the more terrifying things I've ever done in life is going into downtown Livingstone every night in the dark and walking around the streets looking for street kids. It was terrifying. Like I was, I was um, calling on God every time because I was so out of place. Not only culturally speaking in another country, not only uh, just experientially speaking, it's not, I didn't grow up like that by God's grace. Praise the Lord. At the same time, what does it look like to enter into that, to be able to understand, know, and pray appropriately and seek help in it? And this was one, one time in my life where I utterly was dependent on God. As you look over your week that we have just gone through, you finished a Sunday, we've come to a new one. <clears throat> Do you de- did you depend on God this week? Um, as you reflect on it, what are the things that you did? We get into a system or habits of doing the same thing each day. 
We wake up, we go through the routines, we get ready a similar way. Even with a, clo a closet full of clothes, we probably wear the same outfits routinely. Not all of them even get touched. That's my experience, at least, for from, from my life. And as I look back on it and I reflect, what did I do this week where I actually was 100% dependent on God for the things that I needed? But I feel like habits and rhythms and things that we've learned and gone through, especially in our culture, is that we can easily function without even acknowledging his sovereignty. And I believe that's a problem for the church. And so I'm submitting this to you, and I'm in the same place. Because when I reflect on my week, I relied on my personality or character. I relied on trying to be funny with, with teenagers. I relied on being louder rather than quieter. I relied on things that I know I have as gifts rather than actually relying on the one that gives the gifts. And if we mistake the gift for the one that gives it, we've missed everything. And so as we come to calling on God and looking at habits of grace, I'm going to try to do, I'm going to push on one thing right now. I'm still in the book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians is a fantastic book. I highly encourage you to read it. And there's so much going on in it. But I've learned actually a lot of my rhythms of life or habits of grace through Ephesians, which is an interesting place to learn them than anything else. Uh, just a little bit of background, and then I'll cruise through it. We, we in this congregation have often heard this. It's, it was popular uh, by a pastor and missionary called Watchman Nee, but then also other things. But Ephesians is broken into different positions that you have in Christ. Sit, walk, and stand. And so you are seated with Christ, is what Paul tells us. He talks about the doctrines of what this new formed church looks like in Ephesus. And it says, those that are believe in Christ have been raised up and have been seated with him in the heavenly places. We're going to look at that verse in a moment. But then he goes on after explaining what it means to have an identity rooted in Christ. He says then in chapter 4 that you should walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So first we're seated with him. Then we have to walk that out or apply it in life. And then as you come to the end of the chapter in Ephesians 6, verse 11, he says, now when difficult times come, it's not just flesh and blood that are doing these things against you. It's not just your neighbor with a bad attitude. It's not, not just your coworker, the students, or whatever, 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 your kids. It's actually the schemes of the devil that you're fighting against, which is very interesting. And I think that we have often not seen in a spiritual sense the things that we're battling against, and we put humanistic ways of looking at them on it. So that's why I'm asking for our eyes to be opened. But anyway, as we do that, he says, what your responsibility is, is to stand firm. When you've done everything else, therefore, you stand in the might of God. We talked about that last week. And the beauty of standing is you're not trying to gain ground. Christ has already won it, and you stand on what he's done. You're not fighting the battles. You're actually present in it, reminding yourselves of the victories the Lord has won in them. Now, yes, of course, we have things that we have to say no to. You have to say no to sin. There are things that you do. But I'm trying to give us a new perspective into how you stand. It's not just the repetitive prayer over and over and over again and the powerlessness that comes with it. But it's an authority to say, I'm, I'm, I will be resolute in the way that I stand against these things that are not of the Lord. Whether that's a mind, temptation, lust, lying, language, the way you operate with your husband or wife, the way you work in the workplace, shortcuts you can take that are way easier and would make way more money. But I will stand on what I know is truth that comes from the Holy Spirit. Today I'm just going to just talk about the first one, which means being seated in Christ. 
Um, and so the way that I look at this oftentimes is that as a result of what Christ has done on our behalf, which we'll read in a moment, he allows us to know rest. I'm specifically talking on this one because rest is almost a word that is completely lost in our culture. Nobody rests anymore. And if you do rest, it is equated with taking a nap. And I'm not talking about taking a nap. I think you should. I think everybody should. They're beautiful. Rest is an amazing part of life because what is your most vulnerable place in life, do you think? I, th- I think it's when I'm at rest, when I'm sleeping, more specifically. And the Lord says to us, um, he's a God that never sleeps and never slumbers because he is not human. Almighty God is not human in the way we are. Jesus is part of that, right? And he's human. We all know that. But I'm saying he doesn't require the things that we require. He is greater than those things. And so the one that's in complete control and authority is always in control and authority. And you are required to rest because you are created. You are not him. You must sleep. You must rest. You must stop because your body demands it. And so does the creator. And if you try to push and push and push and push and push, you will suffer the effects physically, mentally, and spiritually on what that does to your body. But in this vulnerable, most vulnerable state, the promise of our king is that he never sleeps and never slumbers. So listen to this. The Lord, even in your most vulnerable states, allows you to know security and peace because he doesn't have it. He doesn't require it. You rest because I don't. You have the ability to stop because I don't need it, right? And so what we're going to look at specifically is he set an example for us in how to rest in creation. Six days he created and on the seventh he rested. rested. What do we call that? The Sabbath. The Sabbath, the Sabbath, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day set aside for those that overwork to say, you know what? In my divine counsel, I have given you six days to do whatever you need to accomplish. But I've given you one day to stop and trust me. So for the overworkers in this room, which is a lot of America, the Lord gives you a day to stop. He gives you a day to rest. He mandates a day for you to trust him. It's not only things that you can accomplish and acquire for yourself. It's on the reliance and dependence upon him as king to say, I don't have to create these things. You sustain me. So all these habits or rhythms that we're going to talk about today are really about dependence. They're about what it looks like to rest in the Lord. Um, Ephesians 2, 6 says this. I'm actually going to start in verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Friends, where is Jesus right now? He is seated on the throne. Okay, that's that we understand that. He's not just in your heart. There's a wonderful answer that does apply. But specifically, scripturally speaking, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. Okay, and then where, according to this text, so that you might, so in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So according to this text, where are you, spiritually speaking? You're seated with him. All of these are past tense words, if you can see it. 
that apply to you in the present and your future. And this is an amazing reality if you guys can understand the spiritual implications of you being seated with Christ means that this is already done for you, yet you're to apply it as you walk it out. In other words, as believers, we need to know our identity rooted in the accomplished and applied work of Jesus Christ. Because if we don't, I don't think you will experience what it means to actually rest in him. You will always be pining for something, trying to achieve something, trying to gain something or grab something or get the more. But what Paul reminds us here is those that believe in Jesus, it says, but God, because that's a huge transition from what took place right above this text saying that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, who's rich in mercy, brought you out of all that nastiness and sits you right next to himself and says, now you're mine. Everything that used to define you is no longer the things that define you anymore. You still have gifts. You still have abilities. You still have a place in my world to shine my glory. But everything about you is different. You are mine, and you are seated with me. And that's the place by which we then walk it out in life. So this is what I'm saying to you guys. Your rest comes from the accomplished and applied work of Jesus put over you. You can't add more to what God does in your life but you can grow in the understanding of what that means and looks like. Do your habits change the love that God has for you? It's a hard question because we want to say yes, that if I do more things, he'll love me more. But the gospel is that he loves you even when you were his enemies. He died for you. But should his love change the way we live our life? Yes, our habits should be different based upon our recognition of what he's done in our lives. That makes sense. But it doesn't change his love for us. Um, so what I'm going to do for the remaining five minutes is this. I'm going to give you the beauty of three things that have helped me immensely in life. And I know this is rushed, and I apologize for it, but I think it was really important to pray together. First one is Sabbath. Um, the Sabbath is a, t is a time for us to make a choice to be inactive in the sense of accomplishing things for ourselves. That doesn't mean you can't do anything. It means it's a time set aside for us to choose to delight in the Lord. There is a guy that I've really appreciated and has great studies. Um, his name is John Mark Comer. He's a pastor out of the Seattle area and has also published a lot of things called Practicing the Way. It's a great resource, and we can talk about it more if you guys would like it. But he says on the Sabbath, you should do four things. You should stop, rest, delight, and worship. Stop doing, what, stop doing things that drain you. Purposely take a break from the things that are limiting you and tiring your mind and your body. Rest in the things that the Lord has. What are the things, as you prepare for the Sabbath, have a plan ahead of time that you can mentally and spiritually rest from things that exhaust you? So set time aside, rest in the things that you do, delight in the things that you have carved out that day. They should bring you joy. The Sabbath is about delighting, delighting in who the Lord is and what he's accomplished and what you have in your life and the things that, that bring you joy. Choose three things to do on, a, on that day and do them because they're a refreshment to you because they encourage your marriage, because they bind your relationships with you and your kids, because they help you to understand a community that you're a part of, because you know your neighbor better, 
Uh, something like that. And then the last one is worship. All of it should be an orientation that goes to who the Lord is and what he's done. He's required us to stop. See, for the lazy person, the one that chooses to, the one that purposely chooses um, inactivity or idleness when they're supposed to be active, the Lord says, there are six days in a week I've asked you to do something. I've given you one day to stop. So for the, the Sabbath speaks to everybody. It says, if you're lazy, I have a day for you to stop and rest. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. Worship and reflect. Do something on the other six days. Do something, right? For the overworker, it says, I've given you those six days. That's wonderful. Do it all. But on this one, carve it out for me. Rest in me. Know my provision and my accountability and my love for you. So I I submit to you guys, I think in, in our culture, we've lost the honor of the Sabbath, because we see it as another day to accomplish things that we wouldn't be able to accomplish in other times of the week. I'm guilty of this, and I'm trying to make changes in my own family. I confess that to you. But um, the Sabbath is a time for us to truly reflect and honor the Lord. And it's not a choice. It's a command. And we in our culture have made it a choice. Coming to church is actually not an option. It tells us in the Bible not to forsake the public assembly. And to honor the Sabbath, and part of Sabbath is doing this together. It's honoring the Lord and worshiping and seeing Him. And so as you, as you look through your days and how you orchestrate your life, can you purposely look at it at the front of the week and say, what day will I stop? Everybody has everything going on. The greatest answer in the American culture today and how you're doing is, I'm busy. Fine or busy, Right? And so everybody has those problems. We all know that. What does it look like to carve out time where we can stop, reflect that we're seated with Christ, that from him we have all that we need, and now we need to reflect on being fulfilled in the things he gives us? I'm going to give this to you guys, and then we're going to be done. I believe one way that we can do that is through solitude. This is weird, but I'm going to go for it. This is not the way I lived my life. I'm looking at all these things, and I'm taking them from the life of Jesus. We talked about this a little bit last week. Jesus started his ministry alone in the desert. He ends his ministry alone in the garden. He has his, he has his closest with him, but they all fall asleep. He's utterly alone as he calls out to God. And I think there's something to you separating from the busyness of life to stop. That does not mean that you have to, in hard situations, in difficult conversations with a spouse or a neighbor. Ah, time out. I'm going to go some solitude. I'm going to go over here and just sit for a second. I'm not asking you to escape things. I'm asking you to take a pur- purposeful step back to, to recalibrate yourself with the Lord. He did this purposefully so that he would know life and truth and a, and a, a driven purpose to the things the Lord is doing. He's dependent fully on God the Father. And then as a result, he goes. So, for instance, he would do a massive miracle, massive teaching. Then Jesus would say, you guys go on ahead and I'll catch up with you. And he'll go to a mountain to pray. Like when Jesus calms the storm. Do you remember this? He walks across the water. Why did he have to find his men? Because he said, I'll catch up with you. I need to go talk to my father. What are moments or rhythms in your life where you can do two things? Carve out a Sabbath where you purposefully stop and rest. You delight and you worship the creator. And the second one is have moments of solitude. It doesn't mean you have to go on retreats. 
It doesn't mean you have to check out of life. That's not what I'm saying. It's a recalibration to say, Lord, I am fully dependent on you. And if I'm not in you, if I'm not with you, if I'm not doing the things you're calling me to do, I'm not living properly. I'm not living a fulfilled life. I'm not living at rest. I'm not living in peace. And so this moment of solitude is an opportunity for you. You can do a minute, a minute retreat even. I say this to my students at school, believe it or not. I say, if you have to go to the bathroom, you can go to the bathroom, and I'm trusting you, which always doesn't work. Jill and Ken, you can agree with that, Stephen. But I say this, you can go to the bathroom and take a minute there because I'm asking you to pray. Now, when they come back with a sandwich from the cafeteria, they miss the point. You know what I'm saying? And we talk about that. But the idea is, what, is it, what does it mean to take a break from something for a minute? Reorient your mind on the Lord and then come back into that situation to be able to see it appropriately rather than just going from busy, 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 busy to the next thing, next thing, next thing. And we've not even asked the Lord what he thinks. What do you think about this, Lord? I'm confused and I'm not sure how to act. I'm not sure how to respond. Take a break and figure it out. I'm going to leave this with you. And we can talk more about this, but our, our position in Christ of being seated with him should influence the way that we look at the world. Your identity in Christ should be the thing that allows you to know rest. You don't have to pine for anything or grab at stuff anymore. You have it all already. What does it look like to be content in those things and then to ask the Lord to reveal those things to you more? And I believe as we reorient ourselves in the way that Christ lived, Jesus took a Sabbath. He did amazing things on the Sabbath. He actually healed a lot on the Sabbath because it's restoring those things that I'm talking about. And he also had moments of solitude alone where he was just with the Father. I believe as a church, if we reorient ourselves around these things and bring ourselves back to what Scripture says by practicing and honoring the Sabbath and by having moments where we can recalibrate ourselves with God, it will transform the way that we look at the world. Rather than from going from one event to the next, we have a thoughtful, purposeful action plan as to how we live our lives. Instead of falling forward, church family, let's stand firm and walk it out in life because I believe that's what the Lord calls it to. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we are grateful and honored that you give us in your word a map to live by. And so as we look at it again with fresh eyes and a fresh heart, Lord, help us to restructure our lives in the way that you lived Jesus. Thank you for showing us by example what it is to look like in following the will of the Father. And so, Lord, we pray not our will, but yours be done. We cry out to you in honesty, Lord Jesus, to say we're overwhelmed oftentimes by our schedules or by the things that we have to accomplish or the standards that we're supposed to live to in life. But, Lord, we stop now when we refresh ourselves in your presence and in what you say of us, and we rest in you to say, Lord, thank you that you have never left us, that you've never forsaken us, that you actually have called us and placed us where we are. So may we, with eyes wide open, with clear hearts and a desire to be like you in the places you've put us, help us to operate out of our identity in you, seated with you, Lord, in life and in joy, and we'll be faithful to what you've called us to do. May we rest in you, Lord God. And as we take time to, to call out to you and to know you more, please answer us. May we be faithful to honor you in all that we do. We love you and thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Thanks, church family. Bless you guys. Have a great week. Yeah.